It is time for us to begin our midday program. You know, you push a button so many times, how you can miss it. I don't know. Anyway, Scott in here with you. It is a Tuesday morning, a little bit cooler today than it was yesterday, but still a pretty good day to get some stuff done, that's for sure. We're joined by Susan Littlefield and Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan here today, and uh, we turn it over to Susan first. Good morning to you. Good morning. This isn't a day if you have a toupee that you should be outside. No, I don't think so. Uh, or a hat without chin straps, possibly. <laughs> it's good just... It's just one of those days, uh, you know, you need a Jason Jorgensen sort of haircut for a day like this. It's very, I'm in trouble. It's What's that? It's high and tight. High and tight, that's right. <laughs> very tight, very, very tight. All right, Susan, what do you got for us today? Well, there's kind of some sombering news, but did you know that 21% of those involved in agriculture, farming, or ranching in Kansas live below level they oh need to meet family expenses oh my gosh no 21 percent. we're going to find out more about that with a k-state ag mm. economist michael taylor her and i sat down last week to talk about this what it's going to mean to land values as they move towards 2019 as they assess those information numbers as well it was an interesting conversation and again we'll hear that coming up at 1219 then at 1245 uh, shayla larson is an oral communication expert at the institute of applied agriculture at the university of maryland and she's calling on her farm and ffa experience in south dakota to teach the next generation of ag communicators so we'll find out more with that and clay at 1245 and then k-state just released a farm study Kind of some interesting information. We'll talk more about that at 117. Mm, okay. Good stuff. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. And uh, what do you got going on today? Girl State Golf wrapping up today. A little breezy and yeah. chilly for the kids, but yesterday was nice. Yeah. And uh, they're not fighting the rain in. There's been worse days for state golf. <laughs> I don't know. Fall golf, spring golf, neither one. It's it's never easy getting those in. It's not for the faint of heart. It isn't. We will tell you where things stand on that event. Also, huge match tonight at home for the UNK Lopers. They are undefeated on the year 17-0. And old nemesis visits Buckle Court tonight as 15-1. Washburn rolls in. Lopers are ranked third. Washburn is fourth. Washburn's only loss this year was a couple weeks back at home at Topeka, too. The UNK mm-hmm. Lopers. So we'll oh, see if Coach yeah. Squires and the team can summon up some magic again to knock off this very talented team from Topeka. And Major League Baseball, uh, Cardinals, they're about ready to walk the plank. Yeah. Someone asked me, they said, how is Washington doing this? It's called elite pitching. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if you keep the other team from scoring, yeah. if you've got, if your team is made for that short series. Which they are. Which they are. And and uh, that's the difference between the regular season. So. Also, you get hot at the right time. Yeah. And that's what the Nationals have done. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little surprised they're playing the game this afternoon in the ALCS with the Houston at New York. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And turn it over to Bob Brogan. And uh, Bob looks like stock's uh, not quite as wobbly today. No. Solid, solid earnings today. That old wagon is good. running straight, you know. <laughs> It's it's a straight model today. Uh, stocks broadly higher. Investors applauding some good results in the uh, earnings reports from several major companies. Also, another kind of positive thing, the uh, CEO of General Motors is joining negotiators at the bargaining table, a sign that an agreement may be near to a month-long strike. So we'll watch with uh, bated breath for that. All right. Very good. That'd be good news. It's all coming up on Midday.
All right, time for us to take a look at weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in there in here, there actually with us today, and <laughs> and not getting blown away. I'll no, say. no, we're we're in, but uh, there are places where, uh, as uh, Susan said, not a good day to have a toupee or a hat without <laughs> chin straps or something. But uh, yes, that bad, that bad hair day factor is way up there today. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to straighten things out for sure. So, but. Still pretty good harvest weather here for a while. Yeah, staying dry. Uh, it looks like the rain chances we were expecting to maybe be fairly decent over the weekend. Uh, looks like those better rain chances will be to our north, oh. so much of Nebraska and Kansas. Probably looking at maybe just a bump in the road as far as any harvest progress goes. But, yeah, today we are seeing some strong winds. A lot of us with wind gusts on it to the low to mid-30s, but we are seeing a wind gust right now in the Broken Bow area to 45 miles per hour. Oh, my. So, uh, luckily, the temperatures aren't too bad for today. Upper 40s, most of us, I guess, used to say in the low and mid-50s. We do have some mid-and-upper 40s towards North central Nebraska on it to the Nebraska Panhandle, but once again, most of us in the low and mid 50s. But those northwest winds going to uh, keep the temperatures down for today. Sunshine in our forecast today. Temperatures about 10 degrees cooler than what we usually get this time of year, thanks to the passage of that cold front from last night. Due to that big difference in air pressure with high pressure over Montana, low pressure over Minnesota, we're right in the wind, middle of it. We're seeing those northwest winds gust as high as 40, in some cases 45 miles per hour. Sub-freezing temperatures are back for tomorrow, for tonight with some lighter north winds when high pressure does move over the Dakotas and we see some lighter winds. Warmer temperatures and dry weather will take hold for tomorrow through Saturday as a ridge of high pressure and a warm front track across the plains. Sunday and Monday will be cooler with some chances of rain, possibly a few thunderstorms with a cold front that pushes southeast on Sunday afternoon. But right now in the latest forecast model runs, the better rain chances north of Nebraska, closer to that main area of low pressure. In behind that cold front, our Monday's highs will cool back down to mainly the 50s, so about once again, 10 to 15 degrees cooler than normal for early next week. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to be mostly cooler than normal for Sunday through October 28th. Right now, it just looks slightly cooler than normal. During that time in central Nebraska, daytime highs are usually in the low 60s, with overnight lows usually in the low to mid-30s. The outlook starts with above-normal rainfall the early half of next week in Nebraska and Kansas. That doesn't last long, though. By late next week, through the 28th, below normal precipitation is likely. And something to watch on Thursday, that's when the National Weather Service will release their winter outlook, and we will have it right here for you. Weather factors driving decisions in the market include drier weather in the Midwest and improved rain chances for Brazil soybean planting. Rain will end by midweek across the deep south. Showers will sweep eastward across the Great Lakes. Otherwise, mostly dry weather will prevail the next five days across the plains and upper Midwest. The mainly dry weather in the Midwest allowing for some harvest progress. The 10-day forecast also looks drier. Precipitation will be mainly in the eastern Midwest. Temperatures will be milder following that freeze this last weekend. The recent cold snap halted the accumulation of grain mass and corn that was not fully mature, but only a small percentage of soybeans were adversely affected since most of the freeze-affected portion of the crop was already dropping leaves. The northern plains are experiencing extensive harvest disruption and crop damage following this past weekend's large snowstorm. In the drier, it will be drier through the next week, but harvest will remain slow or at a standstill in the northern plains. 
in Brazil. Yesterday was hot and dry. That hot and dry weather will continue through the weekend. There are improving conditions on the way for soybean planting in Brazil about early next week with some increasing rain chances. Okay, all right. So, uh, so I guess Thursday's a big day. We'll get a good idea of what's to come. Yeah, and if all indications are what we've been hearing, probably wetter than normal and colder than normal, and it could be a lingering winter on into April is what we've been hearing. So. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better at all. Yeah, so, but we will get the official word from the Weather Service coming up on Thursday. Uh, that's what the Farmer's Almanac was saying, that yeah. kind of colder than normal and a little wetter than normal, but not necessarily snow okay. with that, but just more moisture. Hmm. But it was the Farmer's Almanac right about last winter? Do you remember? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I did do not. Yeah, mm, I kind of okay. lose track of those predictions. Right, that's true. That's very true. All right, very good. Well, thank you, Paul. We know where to look for a little closer range. Where do you go? KRVN.com. Did you know in 2018, 21% of those involved in agriculture, ranching, or farming were living below $50,000 when it came to living expenses? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I had the opportunity to sit down with Michael Taylor. She's with K-State University as an ag economist as we talk about that level and what it means in land values. It's a big chunk. It's more than we want to see in that situation. Um, In terms of 21% of our farms were making um, below uh, zero profitability, so negative profitability. And those folks are not going to cover their family living expenses and they're not covering their cash flow. And so they're they're having problems. Um, I think what, what we sometimes don't remember is that it doesn't, for, for it to be a, a ag crisis or for it to be a financial financially strenuous time, you don't have to have 100% of the farms in financial trouble. You only have to have 10, 15 percent, because those folks will drive things like the land market if they have to sell off pieces of ground in order to, um, in order to get cash and and try to catch up. And so that is one thing that we have to keep in mind is that um, sometimes it's just the smaller, you know, that's that subgroup that's really not doing well that they're going to have some trouble and and they could end up impacting other people with their with their decisions. So is there any sort of nervousness as they get ready to look at those 2019 numbers? 2019 will be okay. Um, A lot of that is because of the MFP payment. Uh, that will make up some ground that uh, without it would be very problematic. Um, But it's not going to be an above average year uh, for most people. Although we've had decent yields uh, or projected yields for for a lot of the parts of the state. Uh, So I just look at it as um, it's, it's, it's another year in a four year, five year stretch that's really just been painful and, and, and it's starting to wear people down. And during her talk, Michael talked about these younger producers that don't have land to fall back on when it comes to collateral. Well, it's, it's very tough on them right now. And to be honest with you, when we talk about how this compares to the farm crisis of the 80s, um, the, the growers that went through that will say, well, this isn't quite like that. The interest rates aren't 20%. It's not, it's not the same situation. But the young growers, they are feeling pain like they've never felt before. So for them, this is like their 80s. And it is tough on them. They're going to have trouble expanding. They're going to have trouble just staying in the game um, until commodity prices either recover or we figure out a way to keep cost of production down and make 
$4 corn profitable. And she asked those bankers in the room what they saw is loan vulnerability. Yes, and so I didn't define vulnerable, but I wanted them to tell me basically which part of their loan loan portfolio that they're worried about, and we were getting numbers in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, and that was really concerning to me. I was anticipating 5 to 10 percent vulnerable, and I think that's not the case at all. I think it's much higher. Um, And so what what does that mean? It means that uh, there's a lot of restructuring going on, um, some selling off of land uh, to cash flow. um, and a lot of co- a lot of tough conversations with bankers. So then, does it set the tone and the need to maybe offer some programs out there for all sectors of farming in Kansas? Right. Um, I think it really does make us uh, a little more a little more cognizant of the situation, so that we can um, design some of our curriculum and our extension work around what those folks might need. Comments from Michael Taylor. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in studio with me here. And uh, it seems like, you know, the golf season is a weird one for both the the boys and the girls. The weather is never Sometimes the girls finishes bad weather and the guys finishes good weather. And today just a little bit windy for yeah, them. And I believe it was last year in which they uh, only made it a one-day tournament. That's right, they did. You right. Last year, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So least are able to finish things off. But sunny, windy, and cool today as the NSAA Girls State Golf Tournaments wrap up. After the first day of competition in Class B, Danica Badura of Aurora led the way after shooting a 72. Scotts Bluff and Gearing were 1-2 and two in the team standings. Ogallala was third. In Class C, Lindsey Becker of Kozad shot an 80. That was good enough to be sitting in third place when the day started. Addison Mitchell of Carney Catholic had fired a 90, which was tied for eighth. Lincoln Lutheran had the team lead. Carney Catholic was sitting third. Cambridge was fifth while Broken Bow was 8th. In Class A, Caitlin Hanna of Westside had a great day. She had the lead going into the second day after carding a 72. Tied for 5th was Carson Morrison of North Platte. Lincoln Southwest led the team standings. North Platte was 2nd. Carney sits 7th. Those tournaments will wrap up this afternoon. UNK aims to stay undefeated on the season as tonight. The Lopers host 15-1 Washburn in a matchup of a couple of teams ranked in the top 5 nationally. At Coach Rick Squire says the Lopers are looking to keep this match in perspective. If both teams continue to play well and have good years, then uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's likely you could see them again. We saw them three times last year. So I, I think you know, we have a veteran enough team that they understand that you know, this is just a big match this week. And uh, we're going to come out and play it as well as we can. And Tonight's match begins at 6 from the Health and Sports Center. If you can't make it out, you can listen to that on the River or on the River app. Patrick Corbin can pitch the Nationals to their first pennant when Washington goes for a four-game sweep of St. Louis in the NL Championship Series. The $140 million lefty starts at home against Cardinals rookie Dakota Hudson. Washington hasn't put a baseball team in the World Series since 1933 when the Senators lost to the Giants in five games. Mm-hmm. be a great story for them if they got it done. I did. <clears throat> and Montreal never made it nope. either, so they have that franchise is brand new. Uh, St. Louis says they're not waving the white flag yet, but I think you can hit taps. <laughs> it might be waved <laughs> for them, yes. With the Astros and Yankees all tied at one, the best of seven AL Championship Series shifts to New York for Game 3 this afternoon. If you are a Houston fan, you have to feel good about things. Garrett Cole is on the mound. He's 18-0 and with a 1.66 ERA and 24 starts. 
since his last loss back in late May. I have never <laughs> heard of such a thing. It's yeah, he's, amazing. He's pretty good. And today is the first day of the draft of the newly relaunched XFL Football League. Former Huskers in the draft pool include quarterback Tanner Lee, wide receivers Alonzo Moore, DeMornay Pearsonell, Brandon Riley, Jordan Westerkamp, defensive back Mohamed Cisse, and long snapper Joe Rotherham. Now, the new XFL has teams in Dallas, Washington, Houston, L.A., New York, Seattle, St. Louis, and Tampa Bay. And former Nebraska head coach Mike Riley has resurfaced again. He is the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Dragons. Did you happen to see the 30-on-30 about the original XFL? Yeah, that was it. Now, they claim this won't be quite the circus. We will see. I'd love to see an an upstart league make Mm -hmm. it, but it never happens. Never happens. And FKC semifinal volleyball tonight. We're excited to bring you those games here on 880 KR. Again, Overton against Nextel at 6, followed up by Pleasanton and Elm Creek. Mm. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right. Thanks, Jason. It is time for us to take a look at some of the news going on around our area, and we found just the man to do that. Austin Jacobson is in studio. How are you, sir? I'm good. Here to bring you the news. I'm well, ready for it. why don't you do it then? All Go right. Ahead, well, we'll start off in Lincoln. Nebraska state government collected more tax revenue than expected in September. The Department of Revenue reported Tuesday that the state received $522 million in net revenue, which is 8.2% higher than the official certified forecast of $510 million. The department says net sales and use corporate income taxes and miscellaneous taxes were all above projections. Net individual income tax receipts were roughly on par with projections. Net tax receipts are also above projections for the current fiscal year, which began July 1st. The projections were set by the Nebraska Economic Forecasting Advisory Board in April, and the board's estimates play a key role in determining how much state money lawmakers have at their disposal for the budget. Now, safety during harvest season is extremely important. UNMC Dr. Aaron Yoder says one area of focus is tractor safety. Having machinery that's in good shape, all the guards and shields are in place, having the roll bars and the ROPs installed, learning about and being taught what the potential hazards are and how to avoid those hazards when you're out there working are some of the most important points. And Dr. Eric Ernest, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and Nebraska's EMS Medical Director, says what to do when happening upon a tractor accident. Making sure that the tractor is turned off and that the implements that it was attached to aren't still spinning or running. Making sure that there's no fuel spill or chemical spill that they're using. And trying to make sure that you as the rescuer don't become another person that is involved in the incident. Also, early accident activation of the 911 system is really important. And Dr. Yoder says the average out-of-pocket cost of a harvest accident is $1,500 per incident. When it comes to medical costs covered by insurance, the average is a little over $7,000 for a total of close to $9,000 per incident. He says when the other costs associated with these injuries are added in, lost work time, other people having to take time off work to transport them for medical care and treatment, it approaches $35,000 per incident. Omaha's mayor says she supports a proposal to expand a tobacco tax to in- to include vaping. The Omaha World Herald reports that Mayor Jean Stothert said last week she would support the expansion for public health and tax fairness reasons. Council President Chris Jerem has called for ending an exemption for nicotine delivery devices. The proposal would add a 3% tax on tobacco products to e-cigarettes and other vaping products. The change would spur an estimated $1 million increase in the tobacco tax. 
Love It or Leave It, Stories and Ideas for Revitalizing Small Towns is a presentation sponsored by the South Platte United Chambers of Commerce at their annual meeting on October 30th in Holdridge. Ron Tillery, president of SPUCC, details more about the conference. This conference, uh, this workshop is open to the public, not just uh, South Platte members. Uh, so we want to encourage as many people as possible to come. We're actually having the, the workshop in one of the examples that's going to be explored in the conference, the Sun Theater in Holdridge. And the Love It program will help community members and businesses unleash ideas that will work for their own rural communities. The meeting will be held at the Sun Theater in Holdridge with a $15 nominal registration fee, which includes lunch and other refreshments. Finally, out of North Platte, the local debut of a movie shot in North Platte is scheduled for Friday night. The film is titled Francis Ferguson and is described as a dark comedy about a substitute teacher. The North Platte Telegraph reports that the film was directed and co-written by Lincoln native Bob Bington, who caught who cast North Platte residents in some roles. The first North Platte showing is set to begin at 7 p.m. at North Platte's Fox Theater and the second at 3 p.m. Saturday. All righty. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. From the Midwest to the East Coast, but we're keeping agriculture all the way. How it's changed one young lady's life right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. We're talking with Shayla. And Shayla, you grew up in Northeast South Dakota, where you came up through the FFA, was a South Dakota State FFA officer. But now you are changing lives through agricultural education in Maryland. And we kind of want to get to know more about this and learn more about your story. So first off, just give us an overview of what you do and what you teach at the Institute of Applied Agriculture in Maryland. I teach at the Institute of Applied Agriculture, which is on the University of Maryland's campus. The University of Maryland is the land grant here in Maryland. What the IAA is, it's a 60-credit two-year academic certificate program. It's an under, the, under the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, or AGNR. There's three different concentrations of what students can enter into. It'll be either agricultural business management and leadership, ornamental horticulture and landscape management, and then turf grass and golf course management. So there's a pretty wide variety um, of what students do. What's interesting about my position is I teach oral communication, not only to agricultural students, but the rest of the university as well. So I have that opportunity to share about agriculture as I teach. But I also am an agricultural leadership and communications academic advisor. The IAA has an interesting kind of standpoint within the University of Maryland because agricultural people, they're just good at communicating. The IAA created a really well-known um, communications course at UMD, so there's actually quite a few oral communication spots at the IAA. So it was kind of a crazy good fit for me because I got my master's degree in communication studies and my bachelor's degree in ag leadership. So it was kind of a crazy coming together point for my experience in both communication and agriculture. We're excited to see your work, especially in my position as a farm broadcaster. We work with public relation folks every day, so it's great to know that that next generation of public relations is being well taught. But I guess coming from the Midwest, coming from South Dakota, and I realize you've traveled the country over, but is there a big change in agriculture from the Midwest to the Eastern Seaboard? Oh, yeah. Huge, huge change. Growing up where I grew up, farms are very large, right? So one of the 
most obvious things I noticed right away when I moved here is that the Midwest has a vastly larger scale of agriculture, um, whether that be actual acres or cattle in general. Out here, it's just a lot more populated, and you know, the state of Maryland itself is pretty small. So what I noticed is there's a lot of niche kind of agriculture here. It's been an interesting concept for me to learn. Example, someone who produces strawberries out here is considered a farmer. But growing up in the Midwest, when I picture a farmer, I picture someone with 10,000 acres and 150 head of cattle. So it's been a really interesting process to try to learn just kind of the new social norms of agriculture out here. Also, one thing that I thought was very interesting is little to no farmers out here actually do tillage at all. Um, almost 100% of them are no-till, and that's because they have the Chesapeake Bay attached, um, you know, between the Atlantic Ocean and Maryland, and that's something that Marylanders are really, really proud of, and they really did, wanted to focus on not having runoff that goes into the bay. They put out an initiative, not doing any tillage or things with their land. A lot of people got behind that. Another thing that I also have found that's really interesting is, you know, coming from small town South Dakota, even if town, all they have is a church and a bar and, you know, the population of 100 people, no matter what, there always seems to still be a grain elevator. And one thing that I saw interesting out here is I've been out here for about two months so far and I still have not seen a grain elevator. And I asked some producers that I met about that and they said that a lot of people don't really produce mass quantities of grain or crop in general. And what they do produce, they just go ahead and feed it right back into their cattle. So I thought that was very interesting. Maryland has a vast amount of political variety. You know, there's more Republican people, there's more Democratic people as well. And I found that really interesting because at times they're definitely more experimental with their agriculture. I visited a few extension offices and kind of plants and they were experimenting with the growth of hemp, kind of like explained to all of us how there was a lot of different protocols that one had to follow and like really being tedious about measuring THC and things like that in it. So it's just interesting that they're a little bit more experimental with agriculture out here. They, a lot of Marylanders call it Little America here because it's the western side of Maryland is all mountains. Um, you're lucky if you can kind of fit in a farm and little nooks and crannies there. And then they call it the Eastern Shore. So it's between, uh, you know, the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. And coming from where I came from, I assumed anywhere that was near a shore would be really, really populated or everything would be sandy. But what's interesting is on that Eastern Shore is where a majority of their agriculture is. Do you find any challenge in teaching ag with such a broad and diverse ag industry? Or is it actually kind of make it more interesting and exciting? interesting and exciting it's definitely been a challenge for me because uh, one thing that I really learned about just kind of my time growing up in ag is that we need to advocate for the agricultural industry but a lot of the things that I learned about was like GMO versus non-GMO or BT corn or whatever that might be uh, but that diversity out here has been kind of forcing me to expand my knowledge as far as what agriculture can be a part of their agriculture is seafood out here and that's you know one thing that I've made a goal to learn more about it's Again, we've been talking with Shayla Larson of the Institute of Applied Agriculture in Maryland. She's taking her Midwest ag knowledge and helping to expand it on the eastern shore while educating the next generation of ag communicators. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
It is harvest break time on KRVN. I'm Clay Patton. Be looking for a KRVN pickup between Cozad and Lexington this afternoon as they're out hunting for a hungry harvest crew. They're going to be bringing out great barbecue from Skeeter Barnes. And we also want to thank great sponsors like O'Hanlon Seed, Ch- your channel seedsman, Bear Crop Science, and New Bayer Plus Rewards, Plains Equipment Group, B- Door and Post and Associates, Fawns Garage, Arapaho, and Fawn Motor Company, Cambridge. There's a lot of great folks that go into this, but that KRVN crew, again, they've got that great Skeeter Barnes barbecue. So if you're farming, and you see that KRVN pickup, maybe try to fly them down and get them on into the field so that way you don't have to worry about sending someone after lunch. Again, it is KRVN, a harvest break going out today, brought to you by Lakefront Futures and Options, Darren Fessler, Horizon Ag, Downey Drilling Company, Central Valley Irrigation, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper Distributing Company, Flatwater Bank, Cutting Edge Seed and Chemical, Hogemeyer Hybrid Seed. It is a harvest break on KRVN. Time for us to take a look at the business world and see what's going on. I want to check across the pond, see what's been going on in the overnight, and that gives us a pretty good idea of where we'll go. Uh, the Japanese Nikkei index is up a lot at 408. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is down a bit. The FTSE in London is down, but just by a point, and the German DAX index up 143 points, which is quite a bit for it here in the United States. Green across the board is the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 277 points, and NASDAQ is up 112, and the S&P is up 35. Let's uh, check in with Bob Rogan for more. Well, stocks are a little bit higher today as uh, investors were standing on the sidelines watching some good results in the uh, batch of earnings reports from major U.S. companies. United Health Group, the nation's largest insurer, Jumped 7.4% today after again raising its 2019 earnings forecast. J.P. Morgan Chase rose 4.1% after reporting results that easily beat analyst forecasts. Thanks partly to higher interest rates and solid gains in investment banking. A person briefed on the talks says General Motors CEO Mary Barra is joining negotiators at the bargaining table, a sign that an agreement may be near to ending a month-long strike. Barr was with company president Mark Royce. About 49,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union walked off their job September 16th after their four-year contract expired. The International Monetary Fund is further downgrading its outlook for the world economy, predicting that growth this year will be the weakest since the 2008 financial crisis primarily because of whitening global conflicts. The IMF's latest World Economic Outlook foresees a slight rebound in 2020, but warns of threats ranging from heightened political tensions in the Middle East to the threat that the United States and China will fail to prevent their trade war from escalating. Harley-Davidson is suspending production of its highly anticipated electric motorcycle because of technical issues that arose during a final quality check. Yes, you heard it right, an electric motorcycle. So they've halted production of that for a while. The manufacturer is counting on the Livewire motorcycle to attract younger customers and counter flagging sales in the U.S. as its traditional customer base ages. But... uh, a lot of people uh, would just as soon hang on to uh, the Harley-Davidsons they have and uh, probably won't be trading them in for electric ones. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I don't see that as being real popular with that crowd. I really don't. 
Yeah, when you step down, there's that distinctive sound, mm -hmm. and if it sounds like a sewing machine, I'm not <laughs> sure if it will sell quite as well, but who knows? Yeah, you're probably, you're probably very right. So, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Oil prices down a little bit today. They're at $53 a barrel. Learning more about Kansas State University's Top Farm Study. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, what makes for a top farm, economically speaking, in Kansas? The answer to that is fairly complex. That's why two K-State agricultural economists have conducted an extensive study of Kansas Farm Management Association data to identify those top farms and what makes them successful. Greg Ibendahl and Terry Griffin ranked nearly 400 Kansas farms on their economic standings over several years' time, as Ibendahl explains. You know, looking at, uh, you know, just a one-year set of data, you know, again, weather and prices can have a big difference in whether a farm's profitable or not. So by you looking at a 10-year horizon and keeping the same farms in there that entire time, and then also using a ranking procedure as opposed to just looking at, you know, net dollars on returns, you know, it kind of made a fair comparison because if you were the, you know, consistently a good farmer and ranking in the top 5 or 10% of the rankings every year, that, that really said that you were doing something better than your, probably your, your competing farmers in the same way on the low end. What we did find out, though, that you know, if you were in the middle somewhere, that could be a combination of you were either consistently in the middle every year, but more than likely probably was the case where you had one good year, maybe one bad year, and you tend to average out somewhere in the middle here. So by using rankings and a 10-year history, I think we got around a lot of the things that could just cause a one-year variation. Griffin adds that these farms are rated on the basis of their net farm income per acre. Uh, regardless of farm size, we're looking at this as a net farm income on each acre on, on average. And that helps to remove uh, some of the disparities if we're trying to compare a 2,000-acre farm versus a 10,000-acre farm. Um, and we do know that there are differences in ability to buy inputs and machinery and, and allocating those across larger acreage. And their findings are now up for viewing at agmanager.info. Griffin thinks there's a benefit in producers comparing their economic status to those rankings and factors behind them. One of the things now that I'm trying to get across to producers I'm talking with, there's a lot of stress people have right now. Mm -hmm. uh, stress is caused by low commodity prices. The weather in 2019 was not what anyone anticipated. And one of the points, I think, from this study and some of our other studies is that you know, this is where majority of the people are. This is how you can compare yourself to the majority. And reason is, a lot of farms, I think, were putting more pressure on themselves than they really needed to. Um, they, they felt like they were being outliers, or they were being left out, or they were their ratios weren't where they should. Well, comparing to their cohort is a way, I think, it relieves stress for a lot of farmers. And as they looked at those 10 years of actual farm data, Ibendahl says that there are several interesting trends in farm economics standing via the analysis, one of them being impact of farm size. Well, that was one of probably one of our surprising results because I kind of expected the bigger farms to be more efficient, having uh, ability to buy inputs at, at lower prices and maybe better marketing opportunities as well here. But really, based on the farm size that we have in our KFMA database, uh, there's really no advantage to being a bigger farm. I think we have caught farms that stay in our program, especially if they've been in there for 10 years. Those farms are probably already at an efficient size to start with, so we didn't really see an advantage to the farm size. 
Again, the research was been done by K-State's agricultural economist, Terry Griffin and Greg Ivendahl, drawing from their just-released analysis of the top farms economically in Kansas based on the Kansas Farm Management Association data. You can, again, find a summary of all their work by going to agmanager.info. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Kind of a sell-off day in the grains, except for soybean oil. Looks like the funds sold corn and bought soybean oil today. As we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Is that what happened? Yeah, you know, slight correction, I guess, funds... A lot of times they'll be long the, the meal, short the oil on a rally, and I think you're, you're probably seeing them take profits here. Not a lot of fuel out there to really push the trade one direction or the other. On the downside, you have this slow crop, late harvest. On the upside, you have late harvest. You know, I mean, I think even then the, the supply that looks to, to get in, um, you know, come off the combines here is going to be substantial, at least in the short run. We'll have a shortfall, I imagine. I think yields will come down, but in the very, very intermediate term, the market really won't feel it. So... You know, you look at where we are relative to the globe, and on a day like today, and Argentina has offered its sharp discounts to where the U.S. is. Uh, Argentina corn offered, I think, 10 below the board, and beef is 3 below the board, while the U.S. is 52 over. Um, so, you know, we're we're not going to get a lot of business here on the export side in the, in the coming weeks, but, you know, that might be a good thing. Maybe we just don't have the supply to move, given uh, some, some expectations that production is really closer to $13 billion. So th- we'll see. It'll take a while on that. I'm not saying the top is in here, but I think the market's going to struggle a little bit to trade about and hold about four dollar corn. John, did you notice on the uh, export inspections this morning that more soybeans were inspected for shipment to Egypt than to China? Yeah, and I think that's it's important to watch. I mean, China's basically booked their their purchases; they haven't really made them yet. And I think that one thing they might be holding out on here is. Uh, these tariffs. You know, the, the headline writers of, of this whole trade war in the last couple of days, um, they can spin it either way. You could spin it that, hey, the, the tariffs that we were going to put on uh, that were essentially invented a month ago aren't going to go on. The bearish side of that would say, well, the tariffs that we put on a year ago are staying on. China's tariffs are going to stay up as well, and we're essentially right where we were really three, one, three months ago. So nothing's really changed on that front. Um, but, you know, I do think the market has some some supply worry here, at least on the on the soybean side. Uh, you know, we either look for acreage adjust, adjustments on the road or yield adjustments, and uh, I think right now you're going to see some harvest pressure. But I think in the longer run here, this thing has some trajectory you can trade into uh, on the upside. We just got to get through the harvest first. Thanks for the information, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. What helped out hogs today was China telling us they are down 60 to 70 percent in uh, pork production and likely down uh, 45 percent from the pre-African swine fever levels. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. That'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN for this Tuesday. To hear today's midday program brought to you by Devaney Motors in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Devaney Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DevaneyChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Devaney deal.